We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for Blue Wire and all of you fine folks on the end of the speaker. And joining me tonight is the man that should be your co-host. You know him well by that label. You know the backstory. If you don't, hit me up on Twitter, man. I'll put it out there for the world to hear. Maybe. Uh, KP, Kyle Posey, Niners Nation's uh, head honcho. How's it going, man? It's going well, man. Um, long time no talk. Name's still on the header, bro. Keep it there. It's not going anywhere. It's what just, I'm, I'm just petty. <laughs> Keep that pettiness in your life. <laughs> I know. Never change. I know. I know. Yeah, I don't know. When the last time you are on here, probably just during the season, right? I think we got into that rhythm where you were like on here before every every game. Yeah, there was did, like a, a two or three a week span, something like that. I don't know. We had to, we had to do the, done this during the playoffs. Yeah, too long though, I guess. Too long. Um, so the draft's over. I mean, what are you? You're 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 in the content creation game. I know that game well. What are you like? What are you going to start writing about now? So this this week we've been like Jordan Elliott's done a really good job of this, just reaching out to the coaches and seeing what the players are saying about the coaches or what the coaches are saying about the players. Who cares what the players say? Um, like their former coaches? I thought I saw yeah. something that he wrote about that. Yeah. Position coach, D coordinators, and just trying to get some stories that, you know, we wouldn't be able to know just by watching them play football. Other than that, though, I mean, it's, it's just like kind of what we talked about before hopping on, some out-of-line off-season quotes where, well – like, did not see that one coming, those type of quotes. But right. this is a pretty dead season, so we're going to probably milk the draft for a little bit, see what else we can come up with, um, and then just hope the 49ers keep on 49 ers because they're, they're always good for something. I know. They are. I, as I was asking that question, I was like, who am I kidding? Like, they'll they'll find a way. 
Um, Matt Barrows tweeted the off-season date. So we got rookie minicamp happening like next week, May 12th and 13th. Then you got OTAs, which is the end of May um, and then the beginning of June. And then we have mandatory minicamp in the middle of June. And then you really get like the true dead period. Yeah. Between, you know, middle of June, end of July training camp. Are you going to try and uh, come to training camp again? Should. Um, might be some changes on the the coaching front. I might not be able to, but... Um, like with, with your coaching and like what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. But... I get that. <clears throat> yeah, no, it's, it's like, it's an actual job. It's not even... There's no, uh, no way around that. But looking at some of the off-season program dates, you know, when it's time for this uh, this rookie camp, they're going to be videos that are dissected and oh god so much that this player player x player x who probably is a d d day three or udfa will be glorified into a first round pick not unlike little udfa guy who <laughs> i know oh yeah we were going to talk about him yeah. isaiah winstead man the uh the drafts top receiver that just happened to go undrafted uh <laughs> posting his highlights on twitter John Lynch said that social media did not influence them to sign him, which given the timing, I'm not sure I believe. Yeah, right. It took a couple days afterward, right? He tweeted that out and then, hey, we need another guy. Let's sign a wide receiver who just put out this highlight tape that's making the <laughs> rounds on Twitter. Surely. I know, man. Are. Let's be the heroes. I can be your hero. So 88 catches. 1,085 yards and six touchdowns last year at East Carolina. Before that, he was at, he was at Toledo for a couple years. Combined, didn't quite get to 1,000 yards and four touchdowns in those two years. So, I mean, usually, I don't know, man. I, I mean, I watched his little highlight thing. I sent you that video of the ref that looked like he was <laughs> telling him to get off his lawn. Not today, pal. I know. I know. Go watch a Twitter uh, or uh Strike and Gold listener assignment. Find Isaiah Winstead's highlights and find the part where a ref, after a touchdown, where a ref walks up to him and is clearly like in his face, like bitching at him about the fact that he's doing a little bit of celebrating. It's hilarious. Refs are so self-important, man. They are. They want to be a part of the game so bad. They do. And I, and they shouldn't be. And you realize that. The only reason they're there is to enforce the rules, and they go so far. You know, there's nothing worse than a baseball umpire, though. Like, those guys seem like they just are king shit, and if you even look at them funny, they get to throw you out in front of everybody. Oh, yeah. the ones It's that, so weird. The ones that can't wait for you to, to quote-unquote, show them up. That way I know. Like, you did you see that clip of the catcher that, like, put his hand up to reach for a ball? And, <laughs> yeah, early in the season. And then it – and then it didn't show up, so he didn't think he was getting it, so he dropped his hand. The ref, the umpire dropped it, it hit the ground, and he just throws him out. I was like, yeah. how could, like, dude, you are not that important. Relax, man. Eat some humble pie. It'll be okay. I don't know, man. What else is going on in your life, man? What else is new in the, in the land of KP? Oh, we just started spring ball, so that. Um, but, I mean. What is, uh, what's spring ball entail for you guys? Oh man, I'm watching hockey, by the way. And this dude just got hit in the face with a puck. Really? Yeah, like 20 feet away. Is he's, he okay? 
he's gushing blood out of his eye. Wow. Okay. So I'll be seeing on Twitter in a little bit. You will. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wake up, we wake up and do the whole spring ball thing in the morning to beat the heat. And that's what happens when you live in the desert. Shout out to uh Candlestick Chronicles. They have a ongoing beat the heat, like a bit, like really? they find ways to mention it. Like every podcast, it's, it's kind of <laughs> funny. So, so KP's in on it. Now I know. All right. Um, but I, I mean, other than that, not, not a whole lot, man. I mean, so it's like spring ball, just like spring practices. Yep. Okay. There's really, there's nothing different about it. It's just happening in the spring. Rotating between athletic drills. Um, more, more seven on seven focus, very serious stuff. We got, going. okay. Well, I mean, that's fun. It's fun to coach. Yeah, absolutely. Watching people get to make plays. The most exciting thing going on in my life right now is, and you'll, you'll love this. So every, the last Friday, it's supposed to be last Friday. Apparently it was Thursday today, or excuse me, the first, essentially the first Thursday, Friday of every month, uh, our sweet street sweeper comes through. And does what its name in, entails. And it took us a couple months of knowing, of realizing this. I don't, I don't necessarily know how long it's been going on, but we realized that my neighbor across the street, every first, we'll just call it weekend of the month, even though it's a Friday, he will move his car that's parked in front of his house and move it in front of my house so that his <laughs> side of the street gets swept. And I don't think he's necessarily doing it so mine doesn't get swept, but he definitely wants his to get swept. And what's even funnier is I normally don't care because the street's not that dirty. Like, it's a pretty clean neighborhood. That's all good. But I had fixed a sprinkler at the front of my yard, and I had to move some leaves, and I swept them off the sidewalk and onto the street, knowing that the street sweeper would come. And then I go to leave to work this morning and sure enough, his trucks, it's like a SUV is just sitting right in, in front of my house. And I'm definitely not a grumpy neighbor. I don't mind, but I was like, maybe I should say something because it'd be cool if my, my street got side of the street got swept too. So I actually ran up, went up and rang the doorbell when I got home from work, even though the street had already been swept, the damage was done, but his car was still in front of my house and I was going to ask, you know, like very politely, like, Hey man, like, can I get some street swept too? And, yeah. uh, but they didn't answer, even though they run a daycare. So I know their asses are home. Oh man. They so, don't leave the house. Ongoing, uh, ongoing situation here. They are for sure. Only thinking about themselves here. Right. I mean, right. It, I, I think that if I had to make an educated guess, it's, they don't, they don't, they don't think that I know the schedule. Like they're just like, they know it and they want their side of the street clean and they don't give a shit about the people around them. It'll happen when it happens for everybody else. I know. Right. Right. And so it's just, it's funny. So we'll see. I'll, I'll keep y'all updated. I'll keep you updated on my street sweeping saga. Say that so 10 times fast. It's hilarious, man. It's definitely the absolute epitome of a first world problem. it sounds like it it doesn't get much like it doesn't get much more like ridiculous than that but anyways okay so 49ers things i guess we've kind of we've already touched on it isaiah winstead the best receiver to ever put on uh the red and gold is going to be showing up during the offseason program i didn't honestly i didn't see anything that was just 
like you had to have it type of deal. He he looked decent, you know. It was one on ones running ten yard out routes, right? And what it down to. Yeah, and and even his highlights. I I didn't even have time to go beyond the highlights. Were they weren't crazy? It's just like, good job, man. You did yeah. well. But he's making ten yard. He's making highlight ten yard catches that are contested. Right. Right. Yeah. I I don't know. It it was. I'm not hating, but anyways, at least Brock Purdy's throwing footballs, right? Or he's about to. He will in another month, is what yeah. the, is what John Lynn said this morning on KBR. Lobbing. Yeah. Did they use the word lobbing? He did. He specifically said he's going to begin lobbing the ball. And even that just means – I spoke with a, a surgeon, who the guy who did Nick Mullins' UCL um, repair, and he uh-huh. said that 12-week mark is really when Purdy will be able to um, like start throwing from like five yards. And that's it. It's like basically really- just about the motion. Yep, like what I was going to say is like gripping a football, getting used to that again, getting used to um, gripping a football, removing it, and just throwing it. Just, yeah, like you said, in the motion. It's not going to be – he's not going to be able to throw and like based off what I was told from the doctor. I'm sure the 49ers are saying the same thing. um, Lynch kind of echoed the same thing where they they really won't have an idea, you know, of how healthy he is until they they reach that 12-week mark, which isn't going to happen until early June. So – Everybody's just going to kind of be sitting on their hands waiting to see how he's recovering and how the rehab. Right. And you can like, when you put it like that, you can really see like, cool. So he's going to throw a football five yards. When's he going to throw a 15 yard out route from the other hash? You know what I mean? Like he's not going to be ripping it for another probably two or three months. I would assume. Yeah. It's going to be like pushing training camp. Like, and that's the optimistic view I'd imagine. It's going to be a less awkward version of the Jimmy Garoppolo situation where instead of Jimmy Garoppolo working out on the side field, like it's going to be Brock Purdy. You know yeah, what I mean? Like to talk to his teammates during practice. Yeah. That, that was, was so, so weird. weird. He was off the <laughs> side behind like the bleachers. If you've been to a 49ers practice, they have bleachers on this, the side that's closest to the stadium. So he is working behind those by the training room. And he has fans like talking shit to him, <laughs> like, <laughs> taking videos. But and the NFL media is not allowed to take videos. No, but, no, no. But the random fans were full on convos. Um, it was Jimmy. That, was- that throw sucked. <laughs> like, but I mean, it's going to be a distraction this year too. It will be, yeah, it will be. But at least it's you know, it's 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 a more like acceptable distraction. Like it's normal. Like this quarterback got injured playing. So he's recovering. you're like, this quarterback got injured. So he's recovering, but he's, he was the old quarterback, but now he might be a new quarterback. Oh, well they actually resigned him to, to be this one's backup, even though this one's kind of like, you were just like, what is They actually want the quarterback on the roster. Right. Yeah, exactly. This one's not shunned. Now he's a Raider and he's still making good money. He got, he got Jimmy G got paid right around what I thought he would. Yep. Like, the contract he signed, I thought, was reasonable for what he can do. You know, like three years, around twenty something million a year. I was like, that that's about right. That that made sense for me. So, I mean, I'm happy for him. Obviously, there's like, he's a good dude. So I'm interested to see how he does and if he stays on his two feet. I hope he does, man. It'd be cool. How's the Raiders' offensive line? Isn't any good? Mm. I don't remember. 
Yeah, I, I don't either. I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Like, I don't know what moves they made or if anything changed. I know that Colton Miller's not like a complete sieve anymore. So that's good. But I could not name another starter. I know they drafted one early. What was the name of the quarterback that, that diced up the 49ers last year? Oh, uh, Stidham. <laughs> yeah. He's not I mean, there. they protected him okay. No, he's not there anymore, right? Yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. So if you, yeah, it's like, like all, for all intents and purposes, almost annihilating one of the league's absolute best defenses in a long time doesn't, doesn't get you another, another chance. Oh, he went crazy too. He was like on the money all over the place. That was weird. It was weird. Um, okay, so here's what we'll do. You haven't been on here since the draft, obviously. So let's go through the draft class. It's about your I'll add my thoughts, but they've heard my thoughts, so I want to hear your thoughts. Sure. Um, let's just we'll roll through it. You can say, I mean, talk about it as much as you want. We'll go back and forth, but nothing more than thoughts on the draft class. And we will, of course, start with safety Jair Brown from Penn State, who they traded up to 87 for. But it was from it was from 102 to 87, correct? They kept yep. the, the – okay. So they traded up, I don't know, whatever that is, 14 spots. What are your thoughts on the uh, on their new safety? So I was a fan of him, and I, I was watching him um, early on in the process. Like He was one of the first prospects that I watched. And you could tell he was like their type of player just because – like in the same lens as Talanoa Funga, he is super smart. Like he gets it. He has instincts. He has a good feel for the game, like that sort of thing. And you can kind of see the the reason that he fell too, in the sense that he's not overly explosive. You can tell when a guy can run. You can tell when an athlete can run when he's matched up against somebody in man-to-man coverage. And there's, there's enough separation, like when the wide receiver went to break in a certain direction 
from Brown where he's like, yeah, he's, he's probably not like an explosive type of athlete. He's not a fast human being. And that makes it difficult because naturally you can't do everything on the field when you can't play man coverage. So I, I understand why he fell out of the first couple of rounds, but I mean, when, when we get to the third round, like with the value that he can bring, what, even if it's only like special teams, he seems like he would be a really good special teamer, but I think that he can play for a defense over the middle of the field and like can, he takes enough risks in a good way. I mean, where he could be a playmaker. I, I would be interested to see like how he compliments Tal Hufunga. But my, my initial thought was they either are going to put Hufunga in the box more like, like a dime type linebacker, or they are really buying into this positionless football on the defensive side of the ball where you have uh, Warner, Greenlaw, Hufunga, and, you're going to have the deep safety in Tayshawn Gibson, but Brown would be like, sure, he'd be listed as a third safety, but I think you just have a bunch of guys who can run and cover that intermediate part of the field where you just take that away and really force teams to complete the most difficult passes, which are deep balls outside of the numbers. So I can see why, like from a from how hard he plays, you know, the style of play he has. And he's also a big shit talker, which is a <laughs> green flag for sure. Like when you see a guy get up instantly after not only he makes a play, but one of his teammates make a play and he goes to the other team's sideline or goes to their bench and starts clapping and yapping. That is a positive, positive sign for me. And I, and he did that a lot. So um, he, he seemed like a very smart football player and he was heady and trash talker. So, Check, check, check. <laughs> I think that I, I kind of the, the, the thought that I've fallen back to is where they were picking and where they traded up to, that was about as good as you could get at that spot. Yeah, you know, for like, a player who's going to like contribute right away, right? Or, or not even like right away, but just be a contributor in general. Yeah, somebody that you can see a clear future for. I mean, Tashawn Gibson's on a one-year deal. Um, Jair Brown seems like he has, you talked about it, you hit all the points, is he has all the intangibles you want, and if if you're going to get away with not with without having elite speed in the NFL, there has to be other attributes that compensate for it. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, Anquan Bolden uh, was slow as hell. Like I guarantee you, towards the end of that guy's career, he probably was in the five second forties. Uh, <laughs> if if not, maybe four nines. It doesn't matter. But he was such a good route runner, and he was so physical that it did not matter. And he had amazing hands too. So, but it's like the same thing with Brown. Like he might not have elite speed. It's better than what he tested at. You can see that. But it's not like when you're talking about top speed guys, he's not one of them. But his instincts and his recognition and his the way he plays football. Because there's still I've I've seen fast guys that just don't play fast. Yeah. You know, like guys that I know run like a four three. Um, one of my receivers that I coached this last year, love him. Absolutely. Absolute best personality. The most coachable dude um, was one of the fastest players I've ever coached, but in a game, he just didn't really know how to make that speed work for him all the time. Don't get me wrong. He caught a couple deep shots and just burned everybody, but you could, there were, you see other times where he just didn't know how to make that work. So not being fast is not the end all. It seems like Brown has the intangibles to compensate for it. But like you said, maybe he's not a guy they see always being a deep guy. He has the the mental makeup for it, but I mean, he can go all over the place because he doesn't mind coming down and hitting. His tackling could use some work, but almost every college prospect 
on the defensive side of the ball could use some work tackling. It's just kind of seems like it's a common theme. Yeah, I think with him and just talking about speed, if you're a DB and you can recognize what concepts the offense is doing, you can recognize what route, what routes are about to come. You can see the quarterback staring the receiver down and you can get a jump, even if it's like a half step. If you're able to get out of your break without two steps, you can do it in one step. There's no you know wasted movements. Those shave off like the tenths, the hundreds in that 40. And now you're playing as fast as a 4-3, 4-4, 4-5 guy because you're able to, you know, just read what the offense is doing. So I think that that there's a lot of that in Brown's game. And he doesn't make like the big mistakes too. And I think that's um that's something that I noticed. Just I've, I've been watching him this week, just a lot of Penn State games. And you see him make the routine play, and that gets lost in the shuffle quite a bit. Where he'll let a receiver go deep, quarterback's not, or he'll guard the receiver deep, come up on the underneath route, and it's a three yard play. He'll make the open field tackle in his three yard game. Um, they're able to rush the passer, and then defense gets off the field. Like that's how the 49ers operate. They, they went on early downs so that Nick Bosa guy can rush the passer, and then they get off the field. So, I, again, I, I see the path. To Brown, and yeah, when we're talking about pick number eighty-seven in the draft, that's about as good as you can get. Right? Yeah, there you don't get a. You can get obviously get great players in any part of the draft, but usually what about Fred Warner and George Kettle? <laughs> I, I know, but usually when you're drafting a player that's made it to the third round, there's some type of obvious flaw, and it it may hold them back. It might not, but you're not getting a perfect prospect. Otherwise, they would have gone in the top fifteen or whatever. So. Yeah, and he's not a bulky guy either, which is probably another reason. Um, I don't remember what he weighs, but he he doesn't look like a big guy. Right. Yeah. I mean, an NFL uh, weight program will probably change that pretty quick. Sure but um, you know what, too? When, like, a lot of people forget that these athletes, they all were in college, and they still had to go to class. And, you know, like when your whole life becomes football, like a lot of stuff changes really quick. You know, another thing, too, is like, I don't know why people think this, but dudes can still continue to grow when they get in the NFL. Like, oh, for sure. Like, I, I, everybody, like, you grow until you're like in your mid 20s nowadays. So, I, I mean, I don't know. Everybody always acts like, like the dude is, is what it is. And I'm like, man, they could change quite a bit. Like, go look at George Kittle's before and after picture. Like, that dude I mean, seems like he's like an inch taller and 50 pounds heavier. So, if, if we're talking about Brown, so he's, He's 23. He he might be what he is at this size, but for, right, for yeah. college athletes in general, they wake up and there's that 4:45 lift. Uh, there's probably a meeting, and you're probably going to have a practice. Then you have to go to class, and then you're in class through two or whatever. You might have an hour, two hours of downtime, whatever. And there's going to be more meetings at night. There's probably going to be another practice, and you're going to have to find a way to do like if you're let's say your grades aren't the best. You have to go to study hall. There's just, there's so many different elements in college and then you have to wake up and do it again. I know. And then, and then in, in after draft, after the draft, they're like, okay, all you need to do now is worry about football. That's it. You're like, damn, <laughs> this is what it's like. Yeah. Okay. We're here. Which is what drives me insane. When we talk about like the cognitive tests, do you know how much, is going on in these guys' lives when right. 
the S2 one is basically just a video game anyway. It's so stupid. I, I, dude, it's, it takes me like less than a day to like write that shit off nowadays. Like once I see people start mentioning it at that fast of a rate, like it becomes that popular to talk about and out of nowhere and the way people start using it. And you're like, Oh my God, the person, the quarterback with one of the worst cognitive tests just went third overall, like, or second overall. Like, it's like, wow. Like, it's just dumb, man. Yeah. And not to mention the fact that I'm, I, I, I understand the business side of it, but it's a little fucked up for last of, lack of a better word. Cause you know, that shit's being used as a weapon oh, to get somebody to fall. And you're like, man, you're like, I understand you want to have your chance to draft this guy, but you're literally just messing with his livelihood right now over a test score that probably doesn't apply that much. And it's not new. Like they've been trying to break into the industry for a while. They were talking, I've, I've read articles about how it's been, the S2 test has been involved in baseball for years and years. So it's, uh, it's frustrating. Very. Speaking of frustrating, I need you to talk to me about kicker, Jake Moody. <laughs> Jake Moody, the unanimous best kicker in the draft. <laughs> Uh, Consensus. <laughs> so the argument is the 49ers needed a starter. They needed a kicker, which that is correct. The other argument is, well, he's money from a specific distance. Sure, that is correct. My argument is like the valuation part of it. In what world would a team that just made the NFC Championship that has a habit of making the NFC championship under Kyle Shannon with a roster that has not been nearly as good as the one they have now would need a kicker to decide their games. I've seen um, on NFL network, they were talking about uh, the 49ers were involved in, or with NFL games going down to the wire, you'll need a steady kicker. The 49ers played one game last year that was decided by three points or less. And that was Jimmy Garoppolo's start against Denver, which as you remember, they should have scored a lot more than 10 points in that game. When you have Rene, Debo Samuel, obviously Trent Williams, but George Kittle, uh, Christian freaking McCaffrey, and then whoever's throwing the ball to those people, uh, you are going to score a ton of points and your kicker should not matter. If, you so happen to stall in the, in the red zone because you are going to move the ball with those players on your roster. I don't think you need to spend a third round pick on a kicker who's going to be living in that 30 to 40, 45 range. By the way, his numbers are not great in you know the area where you would want that kicker to be just a kicker from like 45 and up. Right. So I... I would not have done it. I understand the thought process because I, I would imagine, you know, John Lynch is thinking our roster set. We've done everything we can. We probably, and we're just talking about the best you can do at 87. What can you get at 102 that would have been better than filling the quote unquote unanimous best kicker in the draft? My answer would have been <laughs> lineman. Um, but I'm a random kid. Uh, You're good. Tell him just you just tell him to shut up. 
Uh, one of my athletes, uh, he has a. It's that's he, people hearing your t- kicker takes live and texting you. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. One of my athletes is uh, in the four by one for state tomorrow. I'm going to check him out. He was sending me the time. Okay. But anyway, um, yeah. So I, I watched them play when Brock Purdy was the quarterback, and I never came away thinking, "Man, if they get a third round kicker next year, look out!" <laughs> Freaking points a game, and. Yes, the defense afforded them plenty of short fields down the stretch. I'm not, you know, taking that away. But at the same time, if you remember when they did have those short fields and when they did stall out, like it was still, quote unquote, chip shots for a professional kicker. For a professional kicker, I don't think that there will be that much of a difference between where Jake Moody went and the kicker drafted in the sixth round, for example. So, like, that's... That's my train of thought. But again, I, I understand where they're coming from. I still don't believe that just, you know, as, from the, as far as a team building standpoint, like this was the best use of the 102nd pick. Um, they're sold on Colton McKivitz. So they're in their mind, I mean, listen to Kyle Shannon talk about it afterward. They didn't think that there was going to be a fit or alignment that could challenge not just McKivitz, but Matt Pryor. And um, who's the other? Oh, Jalen Moore. That's so they didn't think that there was going to be a guy in the draft at that stage that would be able to challenge them. I think that that's going to be a comment that could come back to bite them. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? I, I think you were covering the 49ers for this when uh, Kyle Shanahan said that it's not easy to beat out Cassius Marsh. Oh, no. <laughs> were you there? Were you, a, were you with the Niners yeah. yet? That I don't think so. That sounds like because he was, he was there. I think he was cut the year that I um, that I came. He, yeah, he was there for one year. Did okay. I think it was the year after he did okay on the Seahawks. Did a couple okay years on the Seahawks. Maybe I think that's what it was. Can't they, remember. They tried to make Malcolm Smith a thing too. Yeah, yeah, they did. They signed him for a lot of money. That was never a thing. Um, yeah, Kyle Shanahan was asked why I think he was asked why they didn't sign or draft another edge rusher and he was like well it's not easy to beat out Cassie Ishmarsh so when he said it's not easy to beat out Colton McKivitz I instantly it was like a movie where it was like you know everything's zooming past my eyes and I'm like oh no he, he did it again and maybe that this is a way to you know give a swift kick in the butt to Jalen Moore because I think he is crazy talented like just from an athletic standpoint but I think the athletic Matt Barrows wrote about this where he said like he just doesn't have like the type of work ethic they need. But I've seen Colton McKivitz play football <laughs> in practice and during games. And for them to like be super sold, and I, I'm not saying anywhere I've seen as much McKivitz as they have, obviously, but well, he must be locking Bosa up in practice <laughs> or like, is the bar so low where they think that they can get by with a right tackle who's just average, like Mike McGlinchey average, I would say. And I I thought McGlinchey was, like, slightly above that, like, slightly above that. For average. sure, for sure. Um, and I don't get the contract that he just got without yeah. being slightly above average. Yeah, you're not serviceable. if it, you got $90 million and, and be serviceable. But it's uh, it's interesting. I It would have been tough for me to pass up on, like, George's Keely Ringo. Just yeah, I because, saw him sitting there. Like if he if he doesn't pan out, okay, you, you're 
you just hired a defensive coordinator who lives in single highs, and that means just one safety. That's putting a ton of onus on your cornerbacks, who Mooney Ward, I trust him all day. He played on an island all year last year. But now Lenore, who ha- you know has some speed deficiencies, is he going to be able to hold up in Steve Wilkes' game? Would a guy like Ringo is so much more talented than every corner not named Mooney Ward on the roster that I thought that would be a tie an area where um, just take a swing. And they're like, there's a couple other guys. People love Blake Freeland, um, the right tackle out of BYU. I think left tackle, one of the tackles out of BYU. Uh, Nick Salaveri out of ODU, Old Dominion, who I think is going to be the name that they regret. Like he's, he's basically in my mind, David Bakhtiari from the Packers, just on the right side. And I think he's going to play for a long time and be a star or maybe not a star, but a stud starter where he is exactly what the 49ers need a right tackle in my mind. So I was surprised to hear Kyle Shannon say they, they didn't think that there was a fit at right tackle, but again, like if your mind's made up, there's no, what are we doing here? Right. Well, and Matt Mayoko made a good point. I can't remember if it was on his podcast or in writing, but he brought up the fact that Kyle or John Lynch mentioned about the fact that they were trying to trade Mike McGlinchey last year. And yeah. while he still had one year left on his deal and um, which means that they were double sold on Colton McKibbitts. Like they were cool with rolling Colton McKibbitts out there last year too. So I, I mean, again, it, it, they must know something we don't. I know that he's, he's filled in a lot and he was okay. Uh, I don't know there. He definitely had some moments where he was in the spotlight, which as an offensive lineman, unless you're Trent Williams on the reverse end of it, you never want to be. Um, so it'll be interesting. I mean, it, it really does have the makings of one of those scenarios where you're like, man, let's hope this doesn't, I, I mean, everything the 49ers have said about picking Moody, I get it, you know, and a kicker was drafted shortly after. So obviously, you know, at least teams and, and John Lynch said on KMB, KMBR today that he heard teams were trying to trade up in front of the 49ers to take the kicker. I'm, I'm not sure, sure I believe that. I'm sure they were a big fella. Yeah, I know. I know. That's it's you know, was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure they were. It's just the uh what's her name from uh Hunger Games, the gif where she's like, Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> um so I mean, whatever, man. I mean, if you wanted the best kicker, they John Lynch said they looked at every option available as kicker, including a couple that he knew were available for trade. Um, and he they felt like Jake Moody was the number one draft pick. And what it all comes down to is if Jake Moody is good. No one's going to give a shit. No one will talk about it. They might make fun of it every now and then, but they'll be like, it's a good thing he was good, but he sucks. Yes. And that's what it players, is. And, and there's an incredible amount of pressure on him. He's like, I think he's like the fifth kicker to be taken at his spot or higher, like ever. Good is the so, floor for him, by the way. Right. So, yeah, he can't be anything less than that. And then even though it's kind of more of a hindsight game and I usually don't partake, partake in those, like the players that were drafted around him, like who you were just talking about, if they end up being total studs and you ended up with a shit kicker, it's like, damn, this is really shitty. They're lucky that Mitch Wisnowski has kind of panned out to be actually pretty solid, especially when it comes to pinning people deep, you know, pinning people up next to the end zone. But, you know, it, it's it's obvious what the story could be. I don't think we really need to explain it. It's just like you better yeah. hope he's good. 
another part is like going back to McKivitt. So they have Trent Williams. They have a second round pick, a left guard. They have a guy who they seem pretty confident in Spencer Burford. And obviously they re-signed Jake Brindle. So they have four starters returning. It's not like you need five all world starters to score when I mentioned all of the pass catchers that they have. So if you feel, if you're confident that you can get by with McKivitz, who was a fifth rounder, or Jalen Moore, who was also a fifth rounder, or Matt Pryor, who's been a journeyman at right tackle, like if you feel like right tackle or just one starter along your offensive line isn't that big of a necessity, then I, again, I, I understand why Moody or and not just right tackle. If you feel like that third linebacker isn't as valuable as the kicker, or maybe they feel like Brown. The best kicker. Yeah, exactly. So there are, there are different ways of looking at it. So they're looking at the rest of the board and how those positions stack up compared to kicker one. <laughs> <laughs> K1, bro. It's K1 on the board. K1. Then here we are. So, like, yeah, the thought process, again, I want to be very clear that I would not have done this. But I, I understand where, like, where the their logic comes from. You could almost like look at it as like a massive flex. Like, yep, we're gonna draft kicker in the third round and still beat your ass. And that's that's what I was. That was one of my other initial reaction was like they have been able to get away with doing shit like this, and they are probably gonna continue to be able to get away with this. They drafted Ambry Thomas in the same area. And obviously, he's Angry not Thomas, like, both running backs, Ty Davis Price, and Thurman, Trey Sermon. Got, got him out of here ASAP. Uh, TDP just last year. I like, is he ever going to be a thing for the 49ers? Probably not because they traded for Christian freaking McCaffrey. Like, arguably the best running game. back in the NFL. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so they, they are probably going to be able to get by with this again. They were going to win 10 plus games no matter who the kicker or quarterback is. So that's I think how it's, this roster is. People are just starting to realize that like, and I say it all the time, like being a general manager is like being a batter in major league baseball. Like you only have to hit the ball like a third of the time. And as long as you keep that up, it doesn't matter what round, you know, they, but you still have to keep hitting. So somewhere in these classes, you're hoping that a couple of these guys end up being mainstays on the roster. And you're, you know, you're hoping that now you're officially in, in Jake Moody's corner. Like you're hoping that he ends up being a mainstay on the roster because if you're going to draft a kicker in the third round, he has to be. Couldn't the 49ers afford to do that and miss? Of course they can. But at some point that stuff starts adding up. If, if you have draft classes where not a lot came from them, but just keep in mind, like, the, the draft class of Saul, the first round of Solomon Thomas and Reuben Foster at one point was looked at like, oh my God, John Lynch in his first draft is just the MVP. And then now oh, we look back at that and you're like, damn. <laughs> so, yeah, you just, like you said, you just have to get keep getting, and not even like hits, just keep getting people on base, right? Um, right. Like, are you counts? Debo counts. Like, they have tons of hits. And it seems like, just based on last year, Aaron Banks is going to be a hit just because he's there. He's playing. If you just get right. guys playing and contributing. And he's not being exposed. You know, yep. like he's holding his own. Keep it up, Trent Williams. I know. 
Uh, and they have to eventually consider life without that guy, too, because, you know, I mean, he just ha- picked up his option. He's making a shit ton of money every year. He doesn't really and he's still the absolute best in the game. He doesn't really have reason to leave. But the amount of work it takes to stay that big and be that good is probably pretty intense. So, um, all right, let's keep going. Tight end Cameron Latou out of Alabama. What do you uh, let, and you don't have to give me your initial thoughts. What do you think about it now? Like you read some things on it. We talked about it before we hit record. What do you think? Sure. Like you can. So the first thing, so I had watched him a little bit and I saw people just like citing his drops, like his drop percentage. And I don't like that set. I'm sure you don't either. Just like being around wide receivers. Some guys for, for whatever reason, just have a serious focus issue. Debo Samuel is one of those players. Debo Samuel does not have a good drop rate. He never has. He probably never will because he's thinking about scoring a touchdown before he has the ball. And you can see it often where he's just catching before he has the ball. Like his eyes are not on the ball. He's not doing the fundamentals that make a Devonta Adams, Devonta Adams. So when I'm watching the Alabama tight end, I can see those same things where like, I actually think he has very good hands. I think he can eventually consistently make those tough catches, but he just hasn't done it long enough. And I don't think he's had, you know, the, the reps to do it over and over. Only and over. been a tight end since 19, right? Yeah. I, I think since he was at, is it just before he got to Bama? Something along those lines. Well, yeah, I, I would imagine over the next couple of years, he just gets more comfortable, more and more comfortable catching the ball, and that won't be an issue. And I think also you notice he counts as a tryhard, which you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one thing that I noticed when watching him was when Bryce Young would, like, flee the pocket, he would have a really good feel on, like, scramble drill. So, like, he knows where to go. He knows – where the holes are and he found soft spots. He found the open spaces um, along the defense. And that was pretty cool. But I know people will be, you know, turned off by the drops. I know there wasn't like, he's not this molded ball of clay. And, and when you, when you have um, inconsistencies in your game, especially at the college level, it's easy to gravitate toward a player like that. And, and that's just not who, who Cameron Latou is. But he went to Bama and he did a lot of things <laughs> That Kyle Shanahan and he, he made plays at that level too. Yeah, and that matters. And when you're watching what Bam is asking him to do, he's going to have to do a lot of those same things uh, with the 49ers. Just some something as simple as running running across the middle of the field. Something as simple <laughs> as um, winning on an out route or a corner route. Or you're going to have to do the little deceptive stuff. But most importantly, he's going to have to block. And he was asked to do that quite a bit. And is he the most polished blocker? No, he is not. But he has the level of effort that you really can't coach. So he has a frame. Uh, he tries hard. And he can catch despite what his drop percentage is. So, again, I understand that, um, the reasoning for him. But I don't think he's going to be this day one type of contributor. But I don't know if they need him to be. What I told you before, and I've said this a few times, the tight end, whoever they drafted, was going to be – a hedge for an injury to Kyle Juszczyk and George Kittle and a potential next developing plug, the heir to either. So I guess we'll, we'll kind of see how he 
how he looks, he might be the nominee uh, when we're talking about, you know, that highlight in, in OTAs or rookie. Like he might yeah. have that type mm-hmm. of catch where it's going to be over somebody like six feet and you're gonna be like, whoa, see, this is why they traded or this is why they dropped <laughs> the third round. So interesting prospect for sure. But I think at this point, he's, he's definitely a prospect. Yeah, and even uh, Scott McLuhan, former 49ers GM, he talked with Matt Barrows of The Athletic. Check it out. Um, and he said like like that he was obvious how raw he was, how inexperienced he was, but he had everything he needed other than those things to actually develop into a good player. Scott McLuhan said like he, he's like, you watch in a couple of years, he could be an every down tight end. And I think he's just basing it off the fact that he's inexperienced, but he's already come so far. I think he broke the Alabama. I think it was a tight end record for the most touchdowns in a single season last year. I think he had eight, if I wasn't mistaken. Um, the dude, it's obvious that he knows what he's doing. He just needs to polish it up, and that just comes with reps and you know being around better players. So, and he's, I'm sure he's going to soak up everything George Kittle has to give to him. Um, but he has the things you want, and he's a decent blocker. He's not very good in space when it comes to blocking, but. Um, like you said, it's the efforts obviously there. It just has to get refined and you can't necessarily expect somebody to be refined yet. If he's only been playing the position for three years, then again, you're drafting him in the third round. So you obviously need to have some sort of expectations for what he should contribute. I think right now, I, I wouldn't surprise me if this season he catches like one pass every two or three games for like 35 yards. Oh, cause no one accounts for him. He leaks out the other side and George Kittle's going the other way. And he catches a pass right behind the linebackers and the corner is already bailed. So he runs for 15 to 20 more yards. And then that's it. <laughs> like it's maybe, you know, maybe he ends up on the season with 10 catches for 300 yards. I don't know. Like that's probably too much, but it's no, just because there's always, whether it's rare McLeod, whether it's, Juwan Jennings, there's that fifth eligible that will have a random four for 64 game. And, and right, right. that's who he is. Maybe he is the like type of player the 49ers envision of being. Um, I, I think that's all it is. You, you want to have five eligibles who can win at every level. And Charlie Warner was not that. Like He's a tremendous try-hard blocker, but he just gives you nothing um, in the passing game, and and that makes it pretty predictable. So Fort Niners, like their numbers, like their advanced stats when there are two tight ends on the field, are generally very impressive. But teams can kind of load up knowing that Warner is not going to get the ball. And I, and I kind of predicted this in my little fifty-three man roster projection. I think Warner is going to be on the way out, and they just kind of turn over uh, the tight end position and get you know obviously the guys like Latu involved. Right. It, it definitely seems like, you know, if you're going to draft two of them now, their other tight end wasn't until the seventh round. A seventh rounder on this roster is in no way guaranteed a spot. But it kind of just seems like given those two guys, uh, uh, the undrafted, like maybe they just want to get younger and, and get some developmental guys in there that they I mean, you think about it, if um, Ross Dwelly doesn't make the roster like they don't have another tight end other than Kittle that like if they don't make the roster, you're just losing out on a ton. Like, you know, it, it, they can afford to go younger if they want to. A hundred percent. So I think the lot too, and then Willis may be down the line, but it's, it's a way of 
turning the page on the Ross Dwellies, the Charlie Warners, the Caden Smiths, the the run blocking tight ends, the Levine Toliolos, who <laughs> I forgot that name. Really just don't do much for you in the passing game. It's I think Kyle Shanahan's over that. And he's evolving, which is good. <laughs> All right. Cornerback Daryl Luter from what I have as acronymically, which is not a word that I, I just made it up right now, is US is USA. Yeah. But University of South Alabama. The Jags. Yeah. But USA. He's from America. <laughs> So uh, first thing I noticed about him, bro, was like, this dude's jacked. Yeah, he is. Um, he can run a little bit. I was watching him. He Senior Bowl got, guy, right? Say it again. Oh, I, I guess I, I didn't watch him at the Senior Bowl, but I, I was watching so, – I forgot what game he was playing. Maybe it was Tulane. But in that game, like they were testing him a little bit. You can tell he can run. Um, he had a little trouble on some like crossing routes, on routes going across the field. But I could see him just being a developmental cornerback where you hope maybe you get the type of production you have out of Diablo Lenore. But now he's maybe a better scheme fit because he can be the press man. He he can turn and have that recovery speed. But he just needs to play more. That's really what it is. He his yeah, he's act- a freak athlete for sure. His post draft interview was really cool. Uh, he was he, he, I wouldn't call it bragging, but he was just talking about every step of the way he's been underlooked. And, or overlooked, and every step he's overcame the odds. And for whatever reason, teams still haven't um, picked up on it. Like they still haven't given him his due. And he seems like a guy who just has that quote unquote chip that you kind of bet on. Like it, it was easy to see why teams would gravitate toward him um, based on that interview. It was, it was really cool. Yeah, he, he has a like a bubbly, infectious type of personality that you, you want in your DB. Like he is a guy that seems like he talks again a lot of trash, and <laughs> that's what I want. <laughs> So with Daryl Luter, we moved into the fifth round. So we left the third round. Now we're in the fifth round. Their second pick in the third round was defensive end Robert Beal Jr., I believe, um, out of Georgia. Interesting. What'd you think? Yeah, so a guy that played at Georgia but didn't play at Georgia because Georgia <laughs> all five star players who are going. He went early. there. Yeah. So the the players who he didn't play over were like first rounders. So it's tough to be or future first rounders. So it's tough to be too mad at his snap count. But I think this is a Samson Ebicon, like to a T replacement, because he is a guy who is going to be set the edge. He's going to um, just give you really good effort. And eventually his athleticism will show as a pass rusher. He's not like fine tuned or uh, like he has okay hands, but he's not going to be like, you're not going to confuse him with like a Bosa technique wise. So, I think in that sense, like that's where the Ebucom comp for me comes from. And he's a big, like he's a big guy, 247, but he ran like a 4-4, which is kind of insane. So um, I I think he's going to make the roster just because he's, he's another high effort type of guy. And that role that Ebucom played isn't a role where you need a first rounder. I know he's a starter, but um, he's – he seems more like a run stopper than a pass rusher at this point anyway. Well, yeah, and, and the 49ers mentioned it as far as what he was asked to do in Georgia. His coaches mentioned it basically saying, like, look, if this guy, if all he's asked to do is go get the quarterback and set the edge, then he'll be great. And, I, you know, who knows what great's a relative term. We'll see what that means for 
you know, his draft position and what he ends up producing. But, um, I mean, that's all the 49ers are going to need him to do. That's all they ask their defensive ends to do in this scheme. Uh, they don't need him to drop back like some type of outside linebacker or anything like that. So it'll be cool to see what he could do with that. You know, it's not necessarily – it's the fifth round. You're not necessarily expecting the player to just light it up. But you never know, man. Obviously, he's got talented. He was on that team, and he held his spot on that team. And it's easy to get overshadowed by the type of defensive talent that that team had. But it'll be interesting to see what he does. You know, it's, it's I, I guess I can't really – force any more on it than that you know maybe he uh maybe he earned some playing time but the 49ers are actively looking for somebody to take the role opposite nick bosa so spots open yeah and that's another thing like he'll have he'll have a chance to compete and you can't ask for much more than that so they didn't replace samson Ebercom or charles Minhew in free agency and those two if you did not watch the 49ers last year were a big freaking part of the defense. Like, they were very productive. So, whether it's Austin Bryant, who had tons of injury issues with the Lions, or Cleveland Farrell, who, you know, I don't want to call him a bust, but he has not lived up to that top five billing. Those guys don't blow you away. So, an athlete like Bill, who you do take a chance on in the fifth round, like you would think he has a leg up, or at least a good chance of making the roster. Another good chance of making the roster. Maybe might be my favorite player of the draft class. I don't know. I like Jair Brown a lot. Uh, D winners from TCU. I can't remember what bowl game I was watching. It was like a bowl game or a game later in the season. It was one of their bigger games. I should have just gone back and looked, but I'm lazy. Um, But I just remember watching and he was like everywhere. Like, can't remember what game it was, but I was like, D winners. I keep seeing this dude winners. What the hell? Like in the oh, backfield. Yeah. It might have been it had to be Michigan because in the first half of that game, I'm pretty sure he made like every tackle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he like it was it was insane. It it was almost like he knew what play was coming, but again, super athlete, guy who plays really hard. That's try hard theme, yeah. Like guys who they want to practice, you know, those cliche terms. Um, I think that that Dred Greenlaw comp that, you know, Lynch made that I'm sure a lot of people will make that inevitably because they're on the same team now. Like that does kind of fit in the sense that they are, they, they're undersized, but you wouldn't have any idea. Like when you're watching Dred Greenlaw play, you'd have no idea that he's 230. Um, the way that he plays linebacker, but just because he's reckless abandoned, the way he throws his body around. And right. I kind of get that sense with winners. And Jordan Elliott on Niners Nation had a nice little article about it, talking to his D coordinator where, like, he's not – that's another thing we have to – and you talk about this too. Like, these guys aren't done developing. He said he wished he had him for another year just so he can teach him how to – just like take on blocks because that's not something he's used to. A lot of these guys are former safety. So, like, all this is brand new, foreign language. So maybe a year, just like Dre Greenlaw, getting used to taking on blocks and, you know, getting adjusting to the NFL speed while you're still able to win with your athleticism, then you become a more complete player. So um, I, I think he's going to play a lot for them. I think that he has a type of speed that leads to you making plays. And when you have dynamic athletes all over your second level defense, 
is going to be tough for the offense to accomplish anything. And that's already been a like that's how the 49ers win in a lot of ways, honestly, it's just because they're so good at the second level of just rallying to the ball and not allowing yards after the catch. Or in the case of 54, just not allowing a catch. But <laughs> yeah, it's I'm pretty excited to see how they use him. I know it's a six round pick and we're probably putting too much stock into Dre Greenlaw developing the way that he did and thinking, oh, they did it with this guy. They can do it with this guy. So right. I'd be a little leery in that sense. But like he has the athletic profile that when they get these type of guys in the building, they usually fare pretty well. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's like, I mean, he's stepping into a linebacker room with Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. Like you just sit there <laughs> and you listen and yeah. – you just watch what off. they do on tape, right? And it's like it, he seems like destined to be their next good linebacker at the very least, like on the level of like Naziz Elshire. Like, but you know, and you can't just pin that on everybody. Um, but he, if a player is gonna take up that mantle, it seems like this is the one to do it. Just given how he was at um, TCU, how he played, how people talked about him how respected he was on the team and how he was like the heartbeat of that defense. But yeah, it had to have been the Michigan game I'm talking about because in the Michigan game, he ended up with seven total tackles, three tackles for loss, one interception returned for a touchdown and one pass breakup. So the dude in that game was all over the place and he does that pretty often, but it just seems like he, he has the, the makeup to develop into what the 49ers could use. And I was kind of the last pod making a big deal out of the fact that he would be the Sam, but in reality, you're just out there, you yeah. know, like it's not really about Sam. being a, yeah. you can be the Sam on one play and they are in the next play, you line up in the same spot. And now they motion the tight end away from you. And now you're the will. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's, you'll be who they want just to. look at it. Like he's on the field. And yeah. <laughs> so, Interesting. I liked it I, at this. In the, again, kind of like a Jair Brown pick. Like when you're taking players in the sixth round, this is what you want. A guy that you're like, okay, he may have had his flaws, but in this building, it seemed like, I think his, I think his coach, maybe that was Jordan's article, but it basically said like you went to the absolute best spot you could possibly go to. Yeah. that He did say that. So, and that's a good sign. And I, and I see that it doesn't seem like, blowing smoke it seems like yep i can see it let's see where he goes from here because i mean you you could call the 49ers like linebacker you you know not that not that there are you anymore but it's like they know how to crank them out there and something's in the water so um it'll be interesting to see what he does okay seventh round tight end Braden willis out of oklahoma interesting ish what do you think yeah i mean not Big or fast, which is why he's here. And I, that's the same thing for the Michigan kid. Um, it seemed like he's a guy who just went on option routes out of the backfield. Like, that's who I could envision, how I could envision them uh, using him. Because, like I said, he's not, like, fast, but he just knows how to win, if that makes sense. Um, your football, like, a football mentality, you know, like, you know what you need to do on any rep to, to – to put yourself in an advantageous position. Yeah, and again, he's he's a guy who you can hedge against a, a juice injury while he develops behind the scenes, while he gets used to how to win 
as an NFL player, like what he can and can't do with his skill set. So I'm a guy who's just reliable out of the backfield. And I think that's the thing here. Everybody thought that the 49ers would take a running back and maybe he is their version of a running back who's just like a receiving threat out of the backfield or um, and not an inline tight end, but like a flex tight end. Kind of just seems like um, almost somebody along the lines of a Juwan Jennings, maybe that just plays a touch closer to the line of scrimmage. You know, like they're not really drafting him to be his blocking chops. You know, they're kind of just drafting him to be like a not. I mean, even Juwan Jennings is not a great, but size wise, you're you're not expecting him to burn anybody. You're just expecting him to be like a physical player in the pass game that might be able to go up and get it over the top of a guy. Um, he's decent after the catch, you know, might make some guys miss and be hard to tackle. And, you know, you're not counting on him to necessarily be a dominant player. It's just in Kyle Shanahan's offense, a guy like that can have success because he's going to put you, he's going to put you in a matchup that you could win and you're just expected to win it in that moment. So. Yep. You just need somebody to, again, if you are going to be taking these rookies, just be able to play in a pinch in the event of an injury. And that's what and he's a former quarterback. So he, you know, that kind of goes to what you're saying earlier. He knows the ins and outs of the game. Yeah. He understands offense. Right. Best way of putting it. What about Ronnie Bell wide receiver out of Michigan? Another guy, not big, not fast. I, he seems like the type of player he, he never really took his game to another level at Michigan. So I don't know how he would be able to do that. Do you think the ACL might've, Kept sure, him from like doing that? That's a great point. Like, it's not fair to say that without bringing up an injury. But knowing that, I, I'm not sure if the speed has, you know, like he, he ran a 4-5-4, four, four, but I don't think he even plays that fast, honestly. And 4-5 for a guy sub 200 is probably not going to cut it. He's a guy that might be like a spot returner if he gets that opportunity because he actually was a good return guy. And he's – He's the type of guy that you, you have the ball in his hands and he's a quote-unquote bulldog, tough to tackle. Um, better football player than athlete, all that. You know, quicker than fast, that type of uh, – those type of cliches. But he's probably going to be a good practice player. He's probably going to be able to give you a really good look. He's probably going to be a pain in the ass for the defense to get stops as far as like that scout team type of receiver. So it'll help your team, but you might it might not be the kind of guy that helps your team on Sundays, if that makes sense. Yeah, I- I told uh, I text Crocker when I was talking about him. He kind of reminds me of, like Kendrick Bourne. Like that's actually a great. I've I've heard the same thing, and I can see that same style. I think KB was quicker, like more sudden, yeah. and but Bell has really good hands, just like he does. Bourne did, and he could he could win in the same style. But I I think Bourne is just a superior player. Yeah, I, I think Kendrick Bourne's a little more athletic. He's a little more of everything. He's a little more athletic. He's a little bigger, probably a little faster. Um, had some silly drops that people overreacted to. Kendrick Bourne did, but great hands. When, when I said, when, like when I think of Kendrick Bourne, I think of a guy making difficult catches. Oh, catches yeah. Like all over the place, whether it's they're at his feet, whether there's a guy draped all over him. Like to me, he's a very good receiver in, of catching the ball. But you oh, remember yeah. like those three plays over the course of like two and a half years where he had drops, and that's all people would ever point out to. But um, yeah, Bell's consistently making contested catches because you have to assume separation will be an issue. Then 
that's how he's going to help you. He's going to be able he's going to be the guy to maybe take a jet sweep on one play, maybe catch a bubble, maybe catch a contested slot fade like Juwan Jennings. But I even think like I, I guess I didn't think Juwan Jennings would be able to contribute the way he has either. So I I I feel the same, man. I feel like Juwan Jennings when I, you know, when you first saw him coming out, you're like, "Okay, this guy might make the roster and he might be like the sixth receiver." And maybe he gets a couple snaps a game and maybe a target. And then, you know, he ended up getting a nickname like, you know, third, third and Juwan. So it's like maybe Ronnie Bell could carve out the same role. He has good, you know, good. So he has stuff going for him. He's a good route runner. He's got good hands, um, you know, but he's not very quick. And so if he's going to be able to make any impact or even have a hope of making the roster, you have to be able to run amazing routes with his speed and he's not big. So he's not necessarily mossing people. And, and even Kendrick Bourne was a little better at just making contested catches or catches with people right next to him. So um, I don't know, man. I think that maybe the 49ers think that just given what he was able to bounce back and do from an ACL tear and, and still look good that, that, you know, maybe he's going to look even better in, you know, just the more time he's given, the better he's going to look and maybe he can, he can squeak into and be that sixth right wide receiver and be given kind of like a shot, like Kendrick Bourne was who took it and ran with it. You know, when he made the roster, he wasn't what we come to see. You just have to capitalize on opportunities. So I think his ceiling is probably that, you know, like maybe he, he by surprise earns a roster spot and, and carves out a role for himself. But you know, who knows too? Cause the, the future for those above him is slightly uncertain. Like we don't right. know. We don't know what's the long-term is with Debo. He's making a shit ton of money. We don't know what the long-term is with Brandon Ayuk because they flirted with trade stuff um, reportedly. And by the way, John Lynch talked about it. You're like, eh, I don't know. Um, uh, so, I mean, maybe, maybe there is something there that, that just affords him an opportunity we didn't expect, but and then I mean, Juwan a seventh round receiver. Um, uh... I think he's a restricted free agent after this season. Ray right. McLeod is an unrestricted free agent. So, like, there will be spots. Like, they can keep Debo and Ayuk, and there will still be spots available, assuming that they're not going to keep both of those players. And that's where, like, that returnability could help Bell um, by replacing McLeod after this season. And who knows what they're going to get out of Danny Gray, if anything. I know. Right, right. It's too long of a tangent to get on right now, but maybe we'll save this at some point in the offseason. But I wish maybe you can help me with this, but I maybe at some point later we'll I wish I could better articulate how important my brain knows Brandon Ayuk is to this offense. Like when people talk about trading him and they talk about what they could get or what they're gonna have to pay for him, I'm like screaming in my head, going, You don't get how one, how good he is, and two, how much he matters to this offense. Like he is, and I'm like, if he was in Justin Jefferson's spot, he would have maybe not quite the same numbers numbers because I'm not insulting Justin Jefferson, but like he is that good. Like, like he is a fourteen hundred yard, fifteen hundred yard receiver somewhere else. And I'm like, no, you don't let him leave. They won't be okay. Like I've I don't I wish I could better articulate that. Like so I don't know. If you if you ignore Patrick Mahomes <laughs> Most teams that are make deep playoff runs, it's because they have like a number one threat on the perimeter. And that's hard to imagine 
knowing that the 49ers haven't exactly um, like, just like you said, they haven't leaned on Ayuk to be like the wide receiver one, but when they do, when they have, like he plays like one, he is the only guy who can beat an AJ Terrell like he did against the Falcons. He's the only player that can win on the backside one-on-one versus the other team's CB1. Like they don't even use Debo like that, which kind of tells you all you need to know. And them going out and getting a Christian McCaffrey tells you that they they needed more weapons in Kyle Shanahan's mind. And every I don't know, every time every time they threw the ball to Ayuk, to me it felt like it was with a purpose and he just got better and better and better. And I know the block there was a big thing made about us blocking, but he had bought into that. Like he bought into what Kyle Shannon asked of, out of his receivers. And they aren't able to have these um, long Debo McCaffrey, whatever runs without Ayuk nailing like a wide receiver or sorry, a cornerback or driving a linebacker, hitting a safety, depleting him. Like he, they were or just putting the threat of a big play guy being sure. back there. Sure. I mean, there, there are so many different ways to frame it, but he is the player you type. He's the type of player that you draft, not the ones that you trade away. Like, you're not trading away a Brandon. I know that there are obvious outliers, like the Vikings trade away Stephon Diggs, who I believe is like a legitimate wide receiver one. Oh, yeah. that And, yeah, they just got lucky with Justin Jefferson. Right. But otherwise, people would have been like, you're dumb. The, truth, the Chiefs traded away Tyree Kill because he cost a lot of freaking money. They relied on him, though, and he was their offense. I think in a different setting, just as you mentioned, like Ayuk would be viewed at as very differently. Like if you were just watch some cut-ups of some of his routes and what he's able to accomplish in a run-first offense that also has a lot of good freaking players, it's it's pretty impressive what he's able to do. I feel like, just to put a cap on this so we can finish the draft class, I should have said this after poor Jalen Graham here. Um I feel like if the 49ers were to trade away Ayuk, it would be like one season before they were wishing they had a player like Brandon Ayuk in their offense. Yes. Trading him this year would make zero sense. None. You do not draft Ronnie freaking Bell in the seventh round because uh, as a replacement for Ayuk. Like, seriously, there were so many occurrences last year where um, whether he's drawing coverage, whether he takes away – uh, the top corner, the, the rotation of the coverage, and you're able to go to a different side because Ayuk is on the field or just flat out the plays that he made. But I, I, if he was the only threat on a team, I would feel very confident. As you said, like he, he would get his, his yards. He would get easy 1,300, no doubt about it. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what I feel. Like I, I, like I look uh, just to compare, not compare the players, but I looked up Justin Jefferson's season and I was like, oh my God, like <laughs> – I knew he was incredible, but I didn't quite know he was, in terms of numbers, that big. Like, he was right up next to 2,000 yards. Yeah, he was, like, knocking on the door of 2K. I'm like, dude, what the hell? But uh, you looked at, you know, you looked at targets, and you looked at yards per catch, and you're like, man, like, I Brandon Ayuk could do this same shit, and I'm not saying he would be every bit the receiver Justin Jefferson is, but when you're talking about being in an offense where they just absolutely need you on – 
you know, 50% of the plays, like you will, you, your numbers will, will be there. So I don't know, but he even made that tweet where he was saying, you know, I did this, I went over a thousand and I was like the fourth option on the offense, like, which doesn't necessarily bode well for the 49ers, but anyways, it does not, but. All right, last pick of the draft, outside linebacker, linebacker, defensive, not really defensive end, mostly a linebacker, Jalen Graham out of Purdue. Uh, Scott McLuhan had some good things to say about him too. What were, uh, what were your thoughts? He did, and, and I I haven't watched him, so I don't know, and I don't want to lie. I watched him a like little that. bit, not much. So McLuhan said he reminded him of Aziz Alshire. I watched Aziz in college. Aziz was an explosive athlete who led the – collegiate in tackling like he made a ton of plays and it was obvious I actually I remember typing this or writing this I predicted that he would be a better player than Dre Greenlaw still got time by the way I'm not wrong (laughs) yet um his 2020 season was amazing by the way or 2021 whatever year Greenlaw was hurt but if Graham can give them the same type of I guess physicality that Alshire gave him because he was like a hitter. Like he was going to bring it. And what McClune was talking about is he even said like, he's got a little bit of pass rush to him. He said his closing speed was very good, which is what the 49ers need at that, that linebacker spot. But also he talked about his, you know, 40 time. He ran a four, six, four, he ran a four, seven, eight. So like, that's not good in today's age for a linebacker, but he was he was impressive. He was impressed with his change of direction. What what did you see when you watched Graham? And do you think he makes the roster? Because I, I said no, but that's on the strength of me not like like who's for never have watched a guy. I don't know who's gonna be out. So I think that it it'll depend on whatever the 49ers view at like ceiling wise, because you're talking about the fourth linebacker and you're talking about like uh McCrary ball or What's the other one that's, or maybe that is the one. Let me let me go to your little fifty-three man roster prediction here. Uh, yeah, Marcelino McCrary Ball, and it, you know it's a former converted safety too, which is the same thing kind of Jalen Graham used to be. Um, you got the veteran like Curtis Roberts. It it just seems like you got Flanagan Foles, who they're comfortable with, but I don't think he's necessarily going anywhere because he's the guy that's been around that can kind of step into that Aziz Alshire role initially. You know, and, and give them somebody that's not gonna um, it's not gonna be like he's not gonna be a liability, I guess you could say. And then you've got D winners who they're probably gonna try and get in there too. So it kind of depends on the the higher ceiling between like McCrary Ball and Jalen Graham. And watching Jalen Graham, he's just kind of the guy that manages to always be around the ball. Like even when it's not going to his side, he's the guy that gets there, not first, but the first guy missed the tackle. And then he's the one hitting him. You know, he's, I just saw a play where he dropped back into space, into his zone, knew the quarterback was looking his way, purposefully stayed a little shallow. And then once the quarterback started to throw it, he came up and picked it off and it was a pick six. So he's, he seems like he has a lot of football intelligence. He doesn't look slow. I mean, he, he stands out on, I guess any guy that gets drafted at any level should always kind of stand out when you watch a defense operate. But he just seems like he moves better than any linebacker type should in terms of being able to stop and go the other direction and rush the passer. And then on one play, he the quarterback did like a spin move, and he instantly reacted to it and was able to bring him down. You know, it's a move that we see NFL 
linebackers get duped with all the time. So he just seems like he's an athlete and they're probably just betting on his traits. He he looks like he could play kind of like that hybrid. He's not obviously not necessarily the same size, but almost like that cam chancellor role where he's a uh, linebacker knocking you out on one play and he, he can, he can survive doing coverage things too. So he seems pretty versatile. I don't know if that lines up with Scott, what, what Scott McLoon was saying but he just seems like he's a guy that is always around the ball. Which is easy to get noticed, right? Like, that's what you want. You want a guy in the screen. The 49ers always talk about that. We want 9 or 11 or however many in the screen when you're when the ball carrier, you know, is is running toward whatever direction. So, um, that is – I'm, I'm going to watch him. I, I, I am interested to see how he plays. I, I wonder how much of his speed is a factor. But if he's, you know, instinctive, if he – can hit if he can take on blocks if he's not fearless uh those those type of guys who you know kind of have a reckless abandon for their body those are the kind of guys that the 49ers tend to gravitate towards that's not too surprising well and we're, we're talking about you know a seventh round pick and the fact that we're even talking about the possibility of him making the roster you know obviously he's probably gonna have to be somebody that shows up on special teams but he's he's got good size 6'2 220 and, and the fact that he could move around like that is a good thing um, so we'll see, maybe you could put it out there. Do you know anything about any, is there, was there anything interesting you wanted to say about the class of undrafted 11 undrafted free agents? I've got nothing there. No. And I, I mean, with a roster as strong as theirs, it would be difficult for any of these players to make it like they're going to have to really stand out or show out in rookie camp, obviously in, in mini camp OTAs. And then when the, the 49ers don't run a lot of third team stuff. And that felt even more true last year. So it like did. when I'm hearing people talk about Brock Purdy, I'm like, he didn't do this in training camp because they didn't have reps. I know. <laughs> Trey, Trey, Trey. Like Trey got right. and then and then your uh your av- your sprinkling of uh what's the dude that in that when it, that they gave a decent amount of money that's on the other team? Yeah. Uh, what's what is his name? Uh, man, this is ridiculous. The other quarterback that went to the, <laughs> I can't yeah, remember like, his he, name. Who was the other guy? And then Brock would come in, and honestly, like there would be a couple of reps, but I remember a couple of days where they would cut the third team reps short because of Brock and the third. Nate team. Sudfeld. Nate Sudfeld. That's who it is. So I, I, that's the case at a lot of these positions. Like Fort Niners are relatively young. So you want these guys to get as many opportunities as they possibly can. So you're not going to take Debo, Ayuk, Danny Gray. You're not taking those guys off the field for even maybe a Ronnie Bell because you want them to be on the same page as Trey or Sam Darnold or Brock Purdy whenever he gets healthy. So um, the same goes for like the running backs. There's a couple of running backs that people are excited about. And I'm not saying like there's no reason to be excited about them for, but who's beating out McCaffrey, Mitchell, Mason, TDP? Like, those are the running backs. They're going to make the roster. Mason would have to do a lot to not make the roster after what he put on tape um, during the games last year. And you can do that at essentially every position. Like Maybe one of the linebackers has a chance because, like, there is that last position, whether it's Graham, whether it's um, Marcelino Ball McCrary, Curtis Robinson, there's a spot there. But, we're, I mean, we're starting to really nitpick if we – go any deeper right. that. yeah I mean I, I did as much research as I could do on him you know you have Joey Fisher the offensive lineman 
Um, D2 offensive lineman, really strong, really big. I think that yeah, I think Scott McLuhan mentioned him. Um, he has got a shot. You know, I don't know how much the 49ers are going to be willing to give when it comes to younger players. You know, you had Jalen Moore ranking the roster. I obviously see that because he seems like he's got a ton of upside. Nick, how do you say that guy's last name? Zakelge? Zakel. Zakel. No, Jay? No, you don't get this. Poor Jay. Just chilling <laughs> back there. Um, you know, there's just, man, it's just tough to see spots for any of these guys. You know, yeah. like you said, running backs, linebacker, like there's only one of them and he was productive out of Minnesota, but like you're overtaking the two that they drafted and the, the ones on the roster. I don't see it. You know, maybe one offensive lineman has a shot. It would be tough to think, think of a running back had the shot. The, the, um, Kalon LeBorn out of Marshall had big numbers. You know, I think it was 16 touchdowns, well over a thousand yards. But, you know, again, you're like the guys that are in front of him are just, and that's the way it is for this roster. That's why I feel like the 49ers are like, eh, F it. We'll draft a kicker in the third round because they're looking at all their position spots and they're like, who the hell is going to make this roster? And, you know, it's a good problem to have, I guess. You got Jack Coletto, the fullback out of Oregon State, who does everything, but necessarily, I don't think he does anything well enough to justify a spot on a 53-man roster. I feel like the NFL should make NFL rosters just a little bit bigger. Like, uh, injuries would suggest so. <laughs> I know, just a little bit bigger. I understand you got a practice squad too, but make everything bigger, man. When you look at how big teams are in the NBA as compared to how many guys play and how, you know, ratio speaking, it seems like the NFL doesn't give them a lot of room, but I don't know. They've got it figured out. They've been looking at this shit forever. I don't know. Yeah. The, um, to put a bow on the UDFs is going to be terribly tough for one of those guys to make it. You mentioned offensive line. So Troy Williams, Aaron Banks, Jake Brindle, Spencer Burford, Colton McKibbitz, Jalen Moore, uh, John Feliciano, Matt Pryor, like there's eight right there. And that's before we get into um, the, the draft pick from last year, Nick Zakel, who you mentioned. Like he probably has a leg up. Jason Poe, who was here and people love, like the guys who are already on the roster are going to have the leg up. So, um, I mean, if I was a UDFA, I would not come to the 49ers. <laughs> <laughs> Right. There's not a lot of room for, for error there. And like you said, man, like as an undrafted free agent, Kendrick Bourne made the roster because he came in right in the midst of that entire roster reset, you know, and, and he was given a spot, not given it. He earned it. I watched him earn it. And I, I remember standing next to Crocker and watching training camp going, I like him and, you know, tapping myself on the shoulder a little bit, but that's not the case anymore. Like, yeah, um, There's a reason that John Lynch, a, f- a former player slash TV analyst, was recently listed as a top five GM. Like they have built a legitimate powerhouse team by themselves. Like they weren't handed a good team. They built it. They reset that shit. And so now they're at a point where once was looked at as a, a haven for undrafted free agents and late round guys because of the roster reset. It's no longer that way. Yeah, like Matt Breida and Jeff Wilson Jr., like the undrafted free agents, like that's not happening anymore because Christian McCaffrey is on the roster. Even last year, Jordan Mason, like it's going to be tough because they, they, they're upgrading at those positions. Uh, usually we see like a, a later round defensive tackle like uh, Kevin Givens, but now they've invested in Javon Hargrave, so it's, it's difficult. Right, yeah, they've got a lot of talent 
on that. You know, you're just looking at a bunch of positions groups. You're like, cool, we could draft this guy, but I don't think we're going to be able to keep him. So what's the point? Like, I wonder how many times the 49ers said that this year. Exactly. Like, yeah, we could draft this guy, but is he even going to make the roster? And they look around at each other and they're like, no. damn it. And then they move on to another position group, you know, like it's got to be tough. You know what I mean? Like, because you never want to, you don't want to just sacrifice talent. Like, you don't want to make your team worse just so your draft picks get to make the team. That's not effective team building. So it's like, it's got to be frustrating for, in a good way for us, for scouts, you know, for the, the guys doing the college scouting to know that, you know, what if you were in charge of scouting quarterbacks for the 49ers? Like, man, they're not going to fucking sign any of these guys. <laughs> you know, like, or, or go to any position group. You're like, man, none of these guys are going to get drafted. What am I doing out here? But that's your job. And they pay you. Any, uh, what what other no- questions that I hear? Colton McKivitt's biggest winner in the draft? Yeah. Um, he got, he got quite the, uh, the vote of confidence from the brass. Um, outside of that, I think, you know, it's pretty much just going to be a wait and see play it by ear. Like it's for as much as we pretend that there's a lot of turnover, like 19 stars are coming back. So like it's pretty much the same team. Just insert high paid, uh, defensive tackle, uh, subtract, uh, high paid to be right tackle. Mike McGlinchey. So, right. Yeah. I'm trying to look at any, I mean, is there, is there any position that you saw that was like neglected or, you know, I, I guess we kind of answered our own with that last question, but I mean, is there any part of this roster that you're worried about? So, the, I mean, the, the parts that you would be worried about the depth at edge is so their defensive that's line. A, yeah. That's dominant. a good point. Like they've been very, very good over the years because they've been able to come at you in waves. So will the current players that they have be as good or as productive, give them quality snaps the same way that they were able to get quality snaps from a mini you, uh, from Ebicom and not just those two, like from Kerry Hyder, but this is not the same Kerry Hyder on the rosters. Are you, Maybe Austin Bryan and Cleveland Farrell. Like we're going to find out a lot about those two. But um, other than that, no, just because does that third line, linebacker really matter when you have Greenlaw and Warner? Even take it to edge. Like, does that edge matter if you have Hargrave, if you have Eric Armstead, if you have Nick Bosa? And maybe Drake Jackson takes the next step. Maybe they're confident Drake Jackson will take the next step. So um, I can. I can see why some people would be worried, but there are a lot of good players all over the place. I'm, I'm really not concerned about right tackle just because I've seen this team win with Daniel Brunskill at right tackle. So they uh, did. They've, and they've done so. They, they've won games with worse talent. I know I said that before, but I, I don't know if people are aware of how important Christian McCaffrey is, like what he did for the offense. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure – whether it's Brock Purdy, Trey Lance, Sam Darnold, as long as twenty three is on the field, they uh, they're going to win a lot of ball games. I know, dude. I just I just think about that touchdown against the Eagles. You know, obviously that nobody wants to think about that game, but his one touchdown in that game was like, I am getting into this damn end zone. Like, yeah, that was really cool to see. It was well, all right, man. I mean, we went we went way over the normal time limit. I appreciate you giving me an hour and a half plus the off the off script combo. Um, 
of your time, dude. I appreciate it. Yeah, always, man. Thanks for having me. I know. I know. I know. And yeah, it needs to get more often. I'll get you back on here pretty soon. Um, if, if, if only just to, uh, drudge our way through the offseason. We'll probably get on here breaking down a single clip from a Trey Lance throw to a rookie tight end where everybody's talking about how is George Kittle now expendable now that we've seen this catch. And it'll it'll be a catch that hits him in the face mask and people will be talking about Trey Lance's delivery. Yep, yep. Threw it too hard. No touch. <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> All right, guys. Well... KP, again, appreciate you, bro. Everybody else, thank you for listening to the Striking Gold Podcast. Um, leave us some positive reviews if you want. Uh, check us out on Twitter, KP underscore show, right? Yes, sir. Okay, all them good tweets. Uh, <laughs> at Rob underscore louder. I don't think I've tweeted in like three days. <laughs> I know, bro. Me either, man. It's it's as The longer it goes on, the harder it is to tweet. I don't yeah. know why, but it's just like Twitter's like losing its luster. I don't necessarily blame Mr. Elon, but it's just... It, because my frustrations with Twitter were came long before that, but I don't know. It's just getting, it's just a freaking what do you call that? Like a cesspool. <laughs> like it's just it's, it's, that's exactly what it is. Right, right. Um, but all right. Appreciate you guys for listening. Thank you for listening to Dragon Gold. Um, leave us some positive reviews on whatever app you listen to if you feel like we deserved it. Um, but in the end, you just listening is the ultimate form of support, and I appreciate it. Go hit up KP on Twitter. Read his stuff on NinersNation.com. I do. And again, thank you for listening. But for another episode, we've got to get out of here. Especially thank you for listening if you're an hour and a half in and you're still in here. So I appreciate you. Um, But hey, that's it for another week. I'm Rob. That's KP. This is Striking Gold. And we are signing out. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.